beginning. Welcome to the podcast. My name is Sean Ram alongside Jade Carving Black, our special guest host. Jade, how are you today? I'm great. Thanks for asking. Excellent. Uh, so today we have with us special guest Sharon Ellers. Uh, she is the founding member of Grief Reiki, LCC. After working in corporate America for almost 30 years, Sharon decided to start her own company to offer a multidimensional approach to grief through emotional recovery and spiritual healing. This was a result of her best friend and former fiance both dying by suicide within a two-year period. Now a certified grief recovery specialist with the Grief Recovery Institute and a Reiki master teacher, Sharon is helping others to recover from grief by providing them with a safe, compassionate, and healing environment for their journey. Sharon is the author of Grief Reiki, an integrated approach to the emotional, physical, and spiritual components of grief and loss. She is co-author of Grief Diaries, Surviving Loss by Suicide, which was a three-time finalist in the 10th Annual National Indie Excellence Awards and the 2016 Best Book Awards. She is also a contributor to other books in the Grief Diaries anthology, including Loss of, Loss of a Loved One, How to Help the Newly Bereaved, Hello from Heaven, and Grieving for the Living. Sharon, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Now, be yeah, we're excited to have you. Now, before we get into your grief career, grief Reiki career, we'd like to actually talk about your career you had before, so your corporate career, if what have you. Um, could you describe that job for us? Absolutely. Um, this is a very different kind of career than what I'm doing now, but basically I started as a security professional um, in corporate America, meaning that I worked with the federal government. Um, I became a federal government employee many years ago um, in the area of cybersecurity and uh, worked in Washington, D.C. Um, I've supported different types of security efforts throughout my 30-year career and pretty much worked in the federal uh, and public sector uh, and private sector um, security activities for multiple corporations and like I said for the federal government as well so it's a very different career than what I'm doing now wow so very high level stuff I mean you obviously had your hand in some pretty uh extensive stuff very you know serious business now what uh what triggered that change well I think you know 30 years is a long time and after a while I think any career you sort of Burnout. And I think really what happened for me was one, working in Washington, D.C. It's a very stressful area to be working in. Um, I came back to California with the intent of sort of finding my way and deciding what I wanted to do next in life. Um, and then I lost two loved ones to suicide. And I think what happens when you lose somebody, and especially that way, you really start to evaluate your entire life and you start to wonder maybe what you should be doing and doing differently. And I think what happened for me was my career came to the forefront because I wasn't happy. And I realized that I needed to find something else that moved me in a different direction and helped to fulfill me in a, in a different way. And that's when I started on this path out of cybersecurity and into grief and Reiki. Wow, that's amazing. Wow, that's incredible. So I'm just wondering, how is that transition for you emotionally? Because it takes a lot of courage to make such a jump in terms of, you know, industries and stuff. So in terms of, you know, how how, how that emotional shift was for you, can you just kind of touch on 
a little bit of that because, as you alluded to, it is a really big jump and uh, a contrast. Absolutely. I think most people looked at me and thought I was crazy because I had a very well-paying job. Um, I'd been in it for a long time. You know, you grow very comfortable doing the same thing over and over again. And I think any time that you're stepping out of your comfort zone, there's a lot of fear that's associated with that. So I can raise my hand and say I was pretty fearful about stepping out of something that was really very safe for me and very lucrative into something that was more of an unknown. Um, so it it took me a little bit, but I think I went with my intuition and I listened to it and the timing was right. And I just jumped in with both feet. So um, it took me a while to get there. But once I did, I, I am so happy I wouldn't even look back. But there was a lot of fear associated with doing that because we're taught to work until we die, basically, right? You stay in the same job, you get a good retirement, and you just, you know, kind of move from there. And I thought there's just got to be more to life than doing a job I'm not happy with. I'd rather be happy and not be so wrapped around what everybody else expects me to be doing. So um, it was a big leap, definitely. And I think people still think I'm crazy, but I'm happy. So that's all that matters. That's something that I've talked, we've had interviews with other individuals who kind of made that journey, made that leap very quickly. And it's one of those things where you have to embrace change and look at change as a positive thing, a turning point in your life. And you know, if you're not happy, if, if there are things that you need, first you got to figure out what it is that you want, what it is that you, you need, and then slowly work your way towards getting that peace of mind and happiness that you need in your life. And with just speaking about myself, it was, you know, doing this project. This is a passion project. This is something that I needed in my life to do. And, you know, I, you probably felt very similar about um, how you kind of entered into the grief Reiki world. So one one other question actually that came to mind is when you got into grief Reiki, was it kind of just reaching its level of popularity? Because I'm not really sure when it really started blowing up and getting popular for me i think it's been in the last 10 years maybe what would you say um i think you're absolutely right i think reiki's been around for a very many years it was brought to the western world from japan you know way back in the early 1900s um, people have been practicing reiki for many 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 years but it didn't really have that popularity now working in washington dc i was very stressed and I was looking for something to help me let go of that stress so that I just, you know, I wasn't carrying it with me all the time. So probably in about 2006, 2007, I ran across Reiki and didn't know anything about it. I have an analytical scientific background and I thought, well, all right, you know, if it helps me relax, I'll just trust the universe that that it will work. And I started my journey, you know, 10 years ago now. So I think you're absolutely correct over the last 10 years. I mean, everywhere you look, it seems like people are offering Reiki. The hospitals around here in Los Angeles all offer Reiki um, as part of their integrative therapy. So yes, it's really kind of, it's been around, but I think it's more in the forefront now, which is nice. People realize it is there's more to healing than just taking a pill, right? So um, it's great. Amazing. For our listeners who don't know like what Reiki is, can you just give us a little bit 
a little bit of something on that to help people understand what Sure, absolutely. Reiki is a Japanese energy healing technique, and it's basically used for stress reduction and relaxation. People who give and receive Reiki usually are looking for some way to, um, you know, find calm and relaxing in their life. They're looking for ways to heal, maybe in a non-traditional way, things that um, are going on with them physically or mentally or spiritually, emotionally. You may have heard that our body has multiple energy centers, right? The whole world is made up of, of energy. Energy is all around us. Quantum physics, you know, goes into that in detail. And our bodies are no different. Um, we've got energy centers in our bodies. And what happens is when we're stressed or angry or ill, um, those energy centers become blocked. And in order for us to be healthy, these energy centers have to be balanced in um, certain ways. And Reiki does that. It allows the energy to move in a healthy way throughout your body so that you don't end up feeling stressed and sick and all of those other things. So the Japanese, I think energy healing has been around for many, many years. It goes back thousands and thousands of years. But basically, it's a way of life in Japan. And like I said, at the turn of the century, it became something that Americans became interested in, they went over to Japan, brought it back to the U.S., and I think they've been practicing it in various, you know, various clinics and, and private practices for many, many years. So it's, it's been around and it's leveraging something that, from an energy perspective, has been part of medicine for thousands of years. I think that's a very articulate response. So thank you for that and helps some of our listeners who who aren't familiar with Reiki understand kind of what the objective is and then also what the you know the benefits are because they are extensive and I'm very familiar with Reiki. I actually can't live without it at this point in my life and and it's been a, you know a staple in in my well-being routine. So but one thing I I'm curious about that I don't know about is what is grief Reiki, and how does that differ from the ordinary Reiki that I would be familiar with? Sure. What happened for me was I was using Reiki as part of my grieving process um, because I didn't really know what to do. When I lost my best friend, Joy, and then when my former fiancé both died, you know, you don't really know. Nobody hands you a manual and says, this is how grief is supposed to work. So you kind of struggle through it, trying to find things that help you feel better and help you to get, you know, moving along on your grief journey. And for me, since I had already received and learned about Reiki prior to the deaths of my two friends, I realized that Reiki was something that I could use for myself to help me get through my grief. And so out of using it and practicing it on myself, I realized that there really wasn't anything out there that was available for people who were specifically going through grief. And so what I did was I was sitting one day and decided that I would take what I had learned in traditional Reiki and I would add things about grief as a component and kind of create this conglomeration of Grief Reiki, which is my own trademarked, um, registered trademark. And so it brings um, the healing techniques associated with Reiki, but it also helps give information to a griever about things that they can do while they're grieving. So it's specifically focused on people who have had loss and grief 
in their life and they want to just not sit around and be sad all the time. They want to do something to really help them get through their, through their um, pain and, you know, physically, emotionally, and spiritually, because that's really what we need to focus on when we're grieving. And a lot of times that doesn't happen because we don't know what to do. Beautiful. So yeah, that's go ahead, Sean. That's amazing. So like if you could maybe walk me through, like, let's say I'm, I'm, I see, you know, your information online or do you, you must have like a center that you work out of. What if I came in and like, what, how would you explain this to me and how would we walk through kind of what the process is uh, for the uninitiated? So would, you know, could you walk me through that, please? Sure, absolutely. Usually what I would do is, you know, when a grieving person comes in is really allow them to talk about their story. I think that's the most, the most important thing for a griever is to be heard. Um, A lot of times because grief is a taboo subject in society, um, we don't allow someone who's going through grief and loss to really talk about what they're going through and how they're feeling. And so that's really the first thing that I would do is, you know, allow, I want to hear their story. I want to know where they're at. I want to know what they're feeling. I want to know what they're going through. And then I want to go through some of the things that we don't talk about as a society about grief that are absolutely normal and natural because one of the things you worry about when you're grieving is that you're going crazy. I mean, there's such a profound sadness and there's so many things happening. You're up and down on this roller coaster that you really don't know whether what you're feeling and, and experiencing is normal or natural. And so I think the next thing I would do is, is talk to the griever and let them know, you know, if your stomach hurts and if you can't sleep or if you're eating chocolate cake every day, three meals a day, these kinds of things are very normal when you're grieving. You know, grief is individual and unique. There's really no process, you know, there's no um, straight linear process that we go through. It's really more like a crazy roller coaster and that you'll feel, you know, up and down. So talking about it, telling them that everything is, that they're experiencing is normal and giving them the tools and techniques to understand that when they're grieving, there are things that they can do at home, you know, very simple things like, you know, maybe putting their hand over their heart or um, taking deep breaths or stretching or eating the right kinds of food or, you know, getting a Reiki treatment, whatever it is to help them, you know, kind of be in a calmer uh, place so that they can better navigate their grief journey because, you know, it doesn't go away. It doesn't finish on a certain day. You know, sometimes it lasts many, many years, but there are ways that we can help ourselves as we're going through our grief you know, to sort of stay well, keep ourselves emotionally balanced, keep ourselves healthy, and that way we can better tackle, you know, grief as we move forward. So those would be the kinds of things that we would do. Oh, that's a great plan. That's a really good thing to do because, you know, from, you know, looking at that type of a plan, I would think that, wow, these people are getting the kind of high-level picture, the, the, you know, the holistic approach in terms of how they need to kind of solve whatever issue is bothering them rather than just, oh, well, this is bothering you, you know, uh, here's some sleeping pills and, you know, see me after a couple of weeks. But, you know, you guys are really looking at every aspect of their life, which which I, I really believe in. I think it's important, you know, diet, mind, body, everything's connected. And so, yeah, that seems to be what I think is the best method. And that's amazing. Like, I mean, thank God you live in a very progressive state, California, that has all these resources. Yes, we're lucky. I think I'm definitely lucky. People are very open-minded and, and they don't want to be 
you know, they don't want to be treated differently. They don't want to be just handed medication. You know, grief is, is a natural and normal emotion. You know, it's, it's healthy to be sad. And we've taught people that it's not healthy anymore to, to be sad or that they need to be finished with their grief by a certain, you know, by a certain day or time. And, you know, your heart is broken. It's not something that just heals, you know, overnight. You have to take the time to work on those different aspects of your life you know, to help you get through it. And so I think being in L.A. helps a lot, definitely helps a lot. I think it's, um, I think you also mentioned something really important, which was people when they're having these experiences and it's like a roller coaster, they may be having experiences or thoughts that they feel that they're alone in having or they'll judge the experiences that they're having in terms of, you know, because it can be a really dark time. So some of the thoughts can be almost scary in in nature and you also mentioned you know people often feel like they're losing their mind or they're going crazy and and so I think it's so important to allow people to feel that what they're going through is normal and to not judge themselves because if you're just alone and you're judging you know some of the thoughts that you're having it's it has the the ability to make things worse and push you in the other direction but if you have somebody to you know, connect with. I think that's beautiful. And I think to offer somebody a space like that is is just amazing. And, and I have no doubt in my mind that you have developed some really profound relationships on the basis of that. Can you speak to some of that and, and how those relationships that, you, that you've created through this venture differ from the ones you, you've had perhaps in your previous career or in your previous life? I'm using quotation marks. <laughs> um, no, absolutely. It's the difficult thing for me is that I've always been a kind of a feeling person, but I've worked in a very analytical and engineering environment for many, many years. So you can't walk in with your heart on your sleeve when you're sitting down and trying to come up with, you know, an executive order for the president on cybersecurity or something like that, right? You can't cry in meetings. I mean, you can't do those kind of things. So you work with a certain side of your brain that becomes um, comfortable, um, but it's not your heart. So for many years, being in that environment has been very difficult for me. Um, and as we read now in today's press, you know, Washington is not necessarily always the healthiest place to be emotionally, spiritually, or physically. And so um, for me, when I was grieving, I found it to be very difficult because I had to put on that happy face and pretend like everything was okay. You know, you yeah. don't walk into a meeting and you st you can't start crying. And they don't give you very much time. Uh, well, nobody really gives you very much time off of work to, you know, get through those emotions. So you find that you become almost numb. You sort of become a robot. Um, this sort of work has allowed me to open my heart up and to let other people know that it's okay to be normal. Um, it's okay not to be analytical. I mean, as a certified grief recovery, recovery specialist, I learned that most people tend to think of grief intellectually rather than emotionally. And so we say things like, you know, well, they're in a better place when somebody dies. Or if your your pet dies, you hear people say, well, don't worry, it was only a dog. You can get another dog. You know, and in reality, even though maybe you kind of understand those things, it doesn't help your heart 
heal any better. And so I think in this business, it's allowed me to be more of who I am and less analytical and intellectual and more coming from a place of, you know, compassion and kindness and empathy. And I think when people are grieving, that's exactly what they need. I didn't really have that around me. And because two of my friends had died by suicide, I mean, death is bad enough, right? But then you add suicide to it and people, you know, really put up the wall because they don't know what to say at all. And they just don't even want to talk about it. So they avoid it. And I think for me, those feelings of being alone were difficult. And I felt once I learned more about grief and grieving and became the certified grief recovery specialist, I knew it was something that I wanted to do to help other people get in touch with the emotions, because that's how you heal. You heal when you face the emotions. And most people hold on to them and hide them and avoid them. And, you know, it's society. It's what we have to do. We're at work and we can't, you know, we can't just break down. So we fake our way through the day and then collapse when we get in our cars at night um, or when we get home. And giving people a safe and compassionate place where they know that they're not alone and that they can talk about it and they can let it out, I think is what has been important for me. I just want to say, that's just not it's not a question but a comment. I think it's so beautiful that you've come to a place where you can honor like your your most true self and I think that's where really good health and a lot of joy comes from that place. So not every it takes a lot of courage to do that. And like you said, everything's kind of counter society's counterproductive in terms of that. So I just admire that so much because I feel like being in a in a job where you can help people and be your most authentic self, like there's nothing better than than that. And the in my opinion, the world needs a lot a lot more of of those kind of people. And and it's amazing. I can't even tell you how amazing I think it is. So, oh, thank you so much for saying yeah. that. I appreciate it. it. Took me 30 years to get here, so hopefully <laughs> yeah. other people will think about that a little sooner in life. But I think we think about it but we just don't act on it, right? Because we're told we have to work, we have to have this much income, we have to live a certain way. And I think as I've gotten older, I realize, you know, especially when you lose somebody you love, it's like, you know, life is short and you don't know when things are going to change. And, you know, my father just passed away about a month ago and, you know, life changed. He fell. I mean, he wasn't even sick. He was 80 in his 80s, but he fell, you know, taking down a Christmas decoration. And, and everything changed in that moment for my mom and I and my sister. And, you know, you just don't know. And so you have to do what's in your heart and you have to do what makes you who you are, you know, otherwise we get stuck in that machine that keeps us turning away until we, you know, we die. And then we have retirement that we can never spend. And, you know, it's just a vicious cycle. And I think that's what I appreciate about the younger generations, you know, following their hearts. It's not as easy for my generation to do that because we weren't taught to do that. We were taught to work, get a retirement, you know, and then die, that kind of thing. So mm-hmm. I appreciate and I thank you for saying that because it took me a while to get here. Yeah. I, and I echo that sentiment. Um, you know, as you were saying that, you know, obviously you're thinking about yourself and other things and I think you're very successful and to get to that successful place, you had to have a lot of drive. You had to have a lot of ambition. And sometimes, you know, in, in the society we've built, you know, you have to kind of 
you have to be that warrior where you need to be. And I think overall, we've kind of maybe disconnected ourselves to the a little bit more important things that society needs to have, which is community and tribes and whatnot, and associating with a, a small group of community of people to be able to express grief and to be able to have uh, places or conversations about uh, the loved ones we've lost. So, you know, that that's something I, th- I think um, we're getting back to. And um, hopefully we can help encourage other people to do that on our platform and as well as your platform, you know, where people can find a place where they can uh, be a human again rather than be a, an amazing, you know, busy worker or whatnot. Achiever. Yeah. Amazing. <laughs> so I just want to talk about the book a little bit, the process of writing the book and how how that kind of ties in with what you do. And were you all, I have a lot of questions around that. Uh, were you always a writer? Did the idea of, of the book come after or kind of how does that fit into to everything? So for me, I've kind of always written. I don't know why. I mean, obviously, cybersecurity, executive orders, you know, um, policy. Very different kind of writing. Very kind of different kind of writing. I worked a lot with attorneys and lawyers and in writing, you know, that kind of language. And so for me, I have always kept a journal because I found that writing was something that helped me to get through. Because sometimes there's no one to talk to. And especially when you're grieving or going through a difficult time, not everybody understands. And so writing for me was always something that I did as a side kind of venture. When this came into my head about doing this work, I really didn't know what it was. I just knew that there was something out there that I needed to put together, but I didn't know what it was going to be. And over time, I took, you know, notes here and there. Um, Eventually, I found at first the Grief Diaries and the Grief Diaries series of books with Linda Fell. Um, This is an organization that allows people who've gone through different grieving events to write about it. And that was the first thing that I found after John's suicide. Not too long after that, I ran across an ad for them looking for writers. And I thought there was, you know, nothing wrong in doing that. I needed to get it out. And so maybe writing about it would be good for me. And that's really where I started was writing as a co-author for that book and allowing myself to tell my own story, um, which I found to be very, it was very healing, even though it was very difficult to do. And then as I got through writing and contributing to some of those books, I realized that I understood grief a lot better. And so in that sense, I could start to formulate what I thought I wanted to do with my company and what I wanted to do with this book. And so I just started putting pen to paper. I started trying to formulate it. Um, I knew that, you know, it's not just about the emotional things that we go through with grief. It's also the physical because, right, the energy, if it's blocked in our hearts, which is one of the things that are affected while we're grieving, you know, you can start to have chest pains. I mean, we just read about that with um, Carrie Fisher and Debbie Reynolds, right? That that grief is so intense that it affects you physically. So I knew that was there. And then I knew spiritually. And and that's, you know, with the grief dreams and, and things that were happening to me spiritually with my loved ones. And I knew I needed to put it together in some sort of format, but I wasn't really sure. And I just started over time um, starting to compartmentalize and put things together and just started writing and having the experience with grief diaries made it a lot easier. So 
as I progressed and as things came to me, um, I wrote them down. And then last year in May, I submitted my first manuscript to the publisher and um, we just worked through it from that point on. And so when the book was published in December, I was ecstatic because I didn't really have any idea what it would turn out to be when I started. I didn't have a clear plan. I just sort of went with it. And um, I was very blessed that it came out and turned into, you know, what it did. So Amazing. So I'm guessing you, you use that as a resource with your clients, your grief reiki clients and people that you encounter. And like it's an it's a supplemental resource. Do you find that, that all of your clients use that or does that depend or well it depends, right? I as a certified grief recovery specialist, I'm trained to teach their material. So I tend to teach that material for people who are going through, you know, general types of grief. And I also teach support group for people who have lost their pets. I love that work. And it's, you know, according to their format. Um, But I've also, through my grief Reiki writing the book, I've developed my own curriculum and my own classes that I'm starting to teach this year to clients who are interested in doing something that's, you know, maybe outside of a traditional support group. Some people are very adamant that that's all they want to do, and I respect that. Other folks want to do something that's a little bit more, you know, holistic, as you would say. And so I've started this year to um, teach, also teach, a Grief Reiki course that brings, you know, all the components of grief together. So um, I'm doing both just because I think people are so different and everybody's grief is unique um, that you have to sort of, you know, help people in whatever way works for them. And for some people, you know, they don't want to go down the path of Reiki because they don't understand it. And for others, you know, they're already embracing it and and that's what they want to do. So Mm -hmm. I've got multiple options. And so that kind of helps tailor it for what people really need because there isn't really a one size that fits all. No, absolutely. And I think meeting people with where they're at and offering them what they feel comfortable with is important as well. So that's good that you have additional resources and stuff available and kind of they can pick and choose whatever's in their heart to Mm -hmm. utilize and, and that's really cool. Yeah, and I think we need yeah, choices. That's awesome. Oh, please, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, sorry. I think we need choices. I mean, I didn't know where to go when I was grieving. I thought, do I see a therapist? You know, do I go do yoga? I mean, what do I do? You know, it's like you don't know where to go. And it's really difficult to find your place. And I think everybody is different, right? I, I went to a support group for for folks who had lost somebody to suicide. And that was very helpful for me. That was a traditional support group. It allowed me to say the word suicide, you know, with a bunch of people who had experienced somebody in their life dying by suicide. Um, and that was very, very beneficial. But I was looking for something else. And I found, you know, that the grief recovery method, which is an educational program, it, it really spoke to me and taught me about the myths about grief, the things that we've lived with for many years, and then we realize that it's not really working. You know, that was very helpful. There's other non-traditional grief groups like um, the dinner party, which is specifically focused on 20 and 30-year-olds, you know, where people just have a potluck dinner and sit around and talk about, you know, grief and loss. I mean, that's a non-traditional way of approaching it as well. There's death cafes. Um, I went to something, um, Paul Dennison out here in, in Los Angeles 
has a company and a methodology called Grief Yoga, um, which helps you to get inside of yourself when you're grieving and sort of let go of all of these things that your body holds on to. So I guess my answer to the question is, is that there's so many things you just don't know where to go that I think everybody has to kind of find those tools in their toolbox that are going to work best for them. And for me, it was just a combination of different things. So offering that to people and allowing them to find the tools that they need because their journey is going to be different than mine and it would be different than either of yours gives them an opportunity to really find what's going to work best for them as they're moving forward or trying to move forward. Yeah, absolutely. And the, you know, the message is number one is, you know, don't be afraid to share. Don't be afraid to speak up and, um, you know, encourage people and help them feel comfortable sharing their stories and, and being able to speak to someone about their grief. So I'm, it's, it's amazing to hear that. You know, we, we have had in the past someone on to, who uh, talked to us about grief yoga and, you know, just things like that are just helping to create that holistic experience for someone. So they do have options. So, you know, that's amazing work. Um, now, just to switch gears a little bit, we like to actually, you did mention about your loss. Would you be able to speak to us about uh, the losses you've experienced uh, in your life? Absolutely. I have lost just recently over the, well, oh, since 2009, I lost my best friend, Joy. Um, she died by suicide. And, you know, as my best friend, we talked every day. You know, we were, we've been friends for, it seemed like forever and it was a, I'd never had anybody die by suicide before. So I had no idea what to do, what to, where to go. Just the whole thought of her going through that. I, I just, it was hard to let go of that in the beginning. Um, it was very traumatic for me. And, um, you know, again, trying to find help and support and understanding. Um, it's difficult because it's a topic that people don't like to deal with. Just as I felt that I was kind of getting past or getting through it uh, in, a, in a good, not in a good way, but I guess in a good, healthy way, I was moving forward and, and not stuck. Um, my former fiance um, also died by suicide, and that just broke my heart open again, um, sent me down a, a path of, you know, sadness and confusion and disbelief, and, and you just, you know, you just can't understand it. So those two losses really spurred me into reevaluating my life, 2009 and then into 2012. The most recent loss was my dad, and he died on January 28th, not too long ago. It's still fresh, so I probably cry. Um, but, you know, even though he was 84 and people say, well, you know, he was, he lived a good life. It's still sad. You know, it's your dad. It doesn't matter whether he's 84, oh, 24 or 104, right. you know, as my dad. And I moved in with my parents um, because they were older and my kids are in college and, and not in the house. And so I moved in with them. So I saw him every day, you know, he was there all the time and, and um, now he's not. And, you know, it's sad. And lonely, um, but I think having the tools in my toolbox has helped to to you know move me through my grief and you know deal with it in a way that's healthy now than maybe when Joy died, um, when I didn't know what to do and I didn't know where to go and I didn't know that what I was going through was was normal. So it's sad, but you know what? We all have grieving experiences in our life, and it's not just associated with death. I mean, you know, 
moving can be a grieving event, um, divorce, um, retirement for a lot of people, you know, is a grieving event. In fact, there's probably over 40 different events that we go through in our lives that cause the emotions, you know, associated with grief. So these three are, are definitely the big ones when it comes to death. But, you know, I'm divorced. I've had a miscarriage. I've, you know, moved from the East Coast back to California and, and miss the trees and the clean air and, you know, so there's all kinds of grieving experiences that we have in our life that we don't necessarily talk about or we don't necessarily realize are related to grief. So I think if we all sit down and think about it, there's probably quite a few things that we've been through in our own respective lives right, that yeah. have caused those emotions associated with grief. Just my youngest daughter going to college, I cried for days and months, you know, just her going, you know, the last one, you know, it's, a, it's definitely a grieving experience. That is, it is a very true statement, you know, and, and all through your life, you're dealing with grief and change and adapting and, you know, renewing yourself and getting the strength to move on. And, you know, and you've, like you said, you've got a lot of tools in your toolbox. What, uh, actually, what was one of your favorite memories of your father? My dad loved music. He when and when we were younger, he would put on records, right? You know, didn't matter who it was, Frank Sinatra, um, Neil Diamond. Music was such a big part of our household. And just having music just having music around was was always so important to him. And it's funny because that's how he's reached out. I, I'm a strong believer that we get signs and messages from our loved ones. And that's one of the ways that I've healed is by embracing those signs and messages. And one of the ways my dad has reached out to us is through music. So my mom and I went into uh, a restaurant um, to have dinner and the song that was playing was the Frank Sinatra song that we had played at his memorial service. Um, I went into Walmart the other day. My dad's name was Bill. Went into Walmart and the song, I mean, this is a song from the 60s I haven't heard in millions of years. The song that was playing over Walmart's music system was the song Bill, you know, by the Fifth Dimension. And, you know, my dad loved Walmart, by the way. And so... You know, he was telling me he was there with me. So music was just really one of those big things. And, and it's just interesting how he reaches out to us um, through music, even since he's passed away. That's incredible. And I'm glad you got to experience those things. You know, it's it's one way that you can look at it as, uh, you know, honoring his uh, memory in these special times that you have uh, with him. Definitely. And, and I think, you know, when you really think about death, you know, which we don't like to do. I, it's really not a finite, it's not something that's finite. And I think because we have a physical, emotional, and spiritual relationship with people, even though the physical relationship is, is done um, when they die, you still end up having that emotional and spiritual relationship with them. And I think that's where I reached out and found that, you know, looking for those signs or paying attention to the butterflies and the rainbows and the music and whatever it is and the dreams, um, those all, all of those things, you know, bring great comfort and, you know, helps you to feel like, you know, death is not the end. There is something more. Life does go on and love definitely transcends time. 
time and space. So I think that's a very positive form of healing for so many people is to, you know, to pay attention to those things, especially um, so when positive. they've lost somebody they love. Yeah, and I think, too, it's important. It teaches us a lot about surrendering and about allowing the relationship to shape shift and to start relying on things beyond, you know, the physical circumstances. And I, I know that, you know, I share the same experiences in in the way that my spiritual and emotional connection with the people that I've lost has, it's a different relationship. And, it, as, you know, at first it's hard to swallow, but just allowing it to change, allowing it to be what it is now and, and not closing off to that and using that as a tool to to move forward. And I don't, I've learned so much about about life through death and through allowing relationships to change to, to a new form. And of course, you know, it's hard and, and I'm not discounting that, but it doesn't make those relationships any less meaningful than if I could grab your hand or if I can have a thought or a sentiment about that person or feel really connected in, in, in our hearts. And I think it's important to highlight and share those experiences too because it allows gives other people permission to look for, you know, those type of type of experiences in their own in their own grief journey. And, you know, people say, Oh, I wonder how, how my grandma or my grandfather would come through to me and that's interesting that, you know, you feel connected through music or butterflies or whatever it is and um just kinda keeps the keeps keeps the fire going. And I think that's in, really important. Beautiful. So you did mention dreams, something about dreams. Have you dreamt of all three of them? Yes. In fact, it's interesting, you know, when I dream about Joy, it's very matter of fact. She loved to shop, right? I mean, shopping was her thing. And we're always <laughs> shopping when I dream about her. But it's funny because I know she's she's dead. And so I've said to her in the dreams, I was like, why are we buying this stuff? Because, you know, you can't use it anyway. And she just looks at me and smiles and like, you know what, we're shopping. Shut up. You know, it doesn't matter. Um, So I I kind of, when I dream of my friend Joy, I know that she has passed away. And so I always find that to be interesting. Now, when I dream of John, and John has been in my dreams since before he died, the day he died. And then subsequently, I've actually had so many dreams of him. I've had to ask him to stop visiting me in my dreams because it's so emotional sometimes that I wake up drained and I've said, you know, maybe can you give me some time to just regroup and stay away for a little while because it it does drain me emotionally when I when I have those dreams of him and they've been consistent since since he passed, you know, since he died. Um my dad has come to me in a dream once and all he said was, you know, can I give you a hug? And I said yes and he hugged me and that was it. So, you know, dreams are very powerful and um sometimes we discount them, but I believe that um, they're so important, and when I first saw Grief Dreams, I reached out to Joshua because I said, wow, this is great that you're studying this because so many people have dreams that they don't pay attention to. And Absolutely. Um, I've had so many that I couldn't even write them down. You know, there's just so many, and, you know, you try to figure them out sometimes, and other times you just accept that that's what they are and, you know, enjoy the fact that they happened. So I'm really curious about you asking I've never heard that before. Are you asking 
John to give you a break? Did he respect your yes, honor he did. your request? He did. Wow. That's I've never heard anything like that before. Like that's really cool that that you have the awareness that you know, I need time and for him to respect that. I don't even I'm like speechless about that. That's I've never heard anything like that before. Well, I think for me and him, you know, when it's a romantic relationship, it's different than like my dad, right? Yes, you know, and yes. my best friend. John and yes. I had an m- emotional relationship. We were engaged. We broke up. Um, we were broken up when he died. And so there was still a lot of unfinished business. And because of that, because I didn't understand and I didn't have a, a lot of knowledge about, you know, what happens when people die. I didn't quite get what was going on, but I've come to realize over the years that when we move on, you know, there are still things that we're working on. And I've just felt like there are things he's still working on and that for some reason he's working on them with me, (laughs) except they can be kind of emotional. And so um, I've asked him just to not work on them with me for a while and find somebody else, which led me to believe when the dream stopped that, you know, once again, it's a reminder that our loved ones are always around us and that it stopped. I mean, I didn't know if it would or wouldn't. I just asked. And when it did, I thought, all right, well, he can hear me. (laughs) He can hear me. So he respected it. They stopped, you know, they started up again, but it gave me time to regroup because it was so waking up, you know, drained. It was somebody I loved with my whole heart. I felt emotionally drained every morning when I would wake up. It's like, all right, this is enough. Got to stop this. And then in terms of your father, do you, did you get to say goodbye to your father when he passed? Like, were you? Yes. um, The beautiful thing about it was that I spent most of the last he he fell on January 4th. He died on January 28th. He was in the hospital the whole time. I got to spend that entire time. Pretty much I was there every day with him. He had an experience while he was in the hospital before he died. I believe he had a near-death experience, which he explained to me, which was kind of overwhelming. And then as he was dying, my entire family was there with him. So we definitely had the opportunity to watch him progress um, through life and and through death. And as difficult as it was, it was a beautiful, I don't know, it it was a beautiful experience as a family for us in so many ways because we were together. Yeah. Because we were together. It was hard to watch him suffer, but it was beautiful in the sense that we were there with him and he wasn't alone. Would you interpret that hug as a thank you or what what kind of... Can you just describe to us some of the emotions that came up when you had with that what your interpretation of that that him hugging you without words I like think it was just sorry, I think it was just the culmination of everything because yeah. he said nothing, he just hugged me, and it was like he was telling me, "I'm here, I'm always around, thank you." goodbye, you know, everything rolled up into one hug. And, you know, it doesn't matter if I ever dream of him again. At that point, he was happy. Um, I felt it. I mean, I literally felt that hug. And it put me in a place of peace. So, you know, the dreams can be so healing when they happen. And when we're blessed enough to have them, um, you know, you can't help but be grateful and thankful that you get that experience because it does transform you in ways that you can't explain to people who haven't been there. No, of course, so powerful. 
and what a beautiful experience. Thank you for sharing yeah. that stuff. Thank you for sharing. Absolutely. Actually, if you could have a dream of, you know, the person that you've lost tonight, what would that dream be about? That's, if you could have, yeah. That's a tough question because I've had so many dreams. I think the dream that I would ask for, when I dream of John, John and I are always working on something, right? On our relationship or whatever. I would like a dream of him where we're just him and me having a conversation. We don't, the dreams are never about what happened. The dreams are never about unfinished business. And I would like a dream that perhaps brought some completeness and closure to the emotions that were associated with us in this, you know, in this lifetime. Um, rather than still working on things in my dreams, I'd rather have some closure and completeness and maybe some I'm sorry's and things like that. Just so kind of, where would you be? Where, what would the, be the location of that? Like a park or hmm. at, a, at your house? Well, living in Southern California, um, John was also from California. It could be at the beach. You know, it could just be about anywhere um, where there's water. I think, yeah, I think the beach would be a great place to have that that dream because the water's so healing. It's a place we both loved, and there's a poem that we both liked about the ocean and the sea. So I think that would be a, a pretty symbolic place to to meet. And what would he be wearing? Um, probably his California stuff, you know, his shorts and flip flops, and <laughs> you know, kind of California attire. Yeah, I think it would be a very human experience and less of a celestial kind of one where he's in a white robe, you know, whatever happens when we yeah, die, yeah, right? Yeah, I, yeah. I, I think something that's more kind of just him and I, you know, how we're used to, how we used to yeah. kind of be with each other and just something very casual and relaxed. And it's so funny you say that because everybody, that's everybody's response. Like everyone, nobody says a white robe or this. Everyone says ripped jeans and, uh, you know what I mean, a T-shirt, their favorite T-shirt, and a human experience, that exact mm -hmm. description. So I think it's it's cool that we just want that humanity part of it and just the simplicity and it's more about just being with somebody in that moment and, and more about being together and talking and nothing too over the top and, you know, gimmicky for lack of a better term. That's that's beautiful. And again, I, I can picture it now, maybe a bonfire, you know, hey, I, you don't have to include me in this dream. Picnic. He liked margaritas, um, so maybe a pitcher of margaritas might be there too. I don't okay. know. <laughs> there you go. Amazing. Well, I like that. so powerful, those dreams and just your whole story. I'm just so inspired by the work you do and the shift that your life has taken. And I hope the people that listen to this feel inspired to make whatever shifts they have to so they can live more more from their heart space than anything else because it truly does feed you in a way that nothing else can. And I think that that's important. And I think that's something that really connects us as, as people. So that's amazing. And I, I want to kind of, as we shift gears again and, and, and start wrapping this up, if you could just tell the audience where they can find you in terms of social media. And then also, I noticed on your website you had Grief Reiki Oracle cards, which I'd be interested in. And so I was wondering where I could perhaps find those as well. 
Absolutely. Um, I am at www.grief hyphen or dash Reiki and it's G-R-I-E-F dash R-E-I-K-I dot com. I'm on social media. Um, Just look for Grief Reiki on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and um, the books are for sale uh, on Amazon, uh, Grief Diaries Lost by Suicide or Surviving Lost by Suicide, as well as Grief Reiki are both on Amazon and they're available in Kindle. Um, and I just put in Google Play a Grief Reiki Oracle Cards um, app, um, which just came out last week. And it's cards based on the book that gives you an opportunity to kind of, you know, like any other Oracle cards, you know, healing while you're specifically grieving. And hopefully the um, uh, iOS um, app will be out in the next month or so for Apple devices. So um, just some simple ways of, you know, finding a place and some tools to, to help you get through your grief if you don't know what to do or where to go. Amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Those are great resources, and um, that's very clear and simple, so I'm sure people that are listening that that have it in their hearts to to connect with you will be able to do that with ease and grace, so that's that's great. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. I appreciate both of you and your time and and, uh, your kind words. You're very welcome. Oh, thank you very much, Sharon. Um, and again, yeah, just to echo what Jade was saying, I really appreciate you being on the show. Uh, again, you're an inspiration. You're an inspiration to me and as well as I'm sure many other listeners because uh, it takes a lot of courage to do what you have done and what you are doing. And it and it just shows that, you know, how uh, you are in tune with your emotions and also like put forward this type of work for society and humanity at large. So thank you so much. Um, we will, I'll talk about our platform at griefdreams.ca. Uh, if you have Facebook, you can join the Grief Dreams Facebook group. Check us out on Instagram and Twitter at Grief Dreams. This podcast can be found on iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, Overcast, and many other podcasting platforms. Um, if you're interested in being a guest on our podcast, please email us your story and what you would like to share at griefdreamspodcast at gmail.com. So, I will wrap up this program again. Thank you very much, Sharon. Uh, thank you, Jade. Thank you. Thank you. Great episode. Yeah, absolutely. And so we like to end with love and gratitude from us to you. The new beginning. beginning.